welcome to the Gay Man's Life Coach Podcast, the podcast for high-achieving gay men who have gone to therapy, want to feel better, and get exactly what they want in life. I'm your host, Harvard Law trained founder and life coach, Jonathan Herzog. Welcome back, everyone. We have the one and only Dex Randall, the burnout coach, joining us today. Dex, welcome, and please, if you would, introduce yourself. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for the welcome. Uh, so yes, I am a burnout coach. I work, I work partly with professionals in burnout used to be just exclusively men. Now it's women as well. And I also am running an advanced burnout coach training because my mission in life is to help everybody who's stuck in burnout, who can't access a solution. And, um, and so I also work in, for the people who know the life coach school, I work in as a self-coaching scholars instructor and a coach certification program instructor and I'm a master coach in there but burnout's my baby really and um it is because I went into burnout earlier in my career and maybe we'll we'll just talk about that a little bit later but I just feel so sad that many people don't have a solution to burnout and it's kind of becoming a pandemic these days all by itself. For sure Dex to start can you tell us a little bit about your own personal story, you alluded to it just now, but it really is so central to the work you're doing with folks to tackle burnout today. Yeah, thanks. Yes, it is very central. I went into burnout in, let's see, 2017. I've had a really amazing career in software development and software development, leadership, project management, product development, all of that kind of thing. And I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. It was such a great match for me, my skills and my personality to work with software. And I love, I'm very creative. I love developing new things and new products. Um, And so I did that for many, many years in all sorts of um, different spheres. But finally, I started working with more entrepreneurs and I started pushing out product very, very quickly. So my expertise became, I was the go-to guy to put out product quickly, reliably, and also to, to bond teams together. I'm quite a good team performance welder. I'm a, that's kind of how I think about it. So I used to get brought in on those kind of product projects for entrepreneurs. And finally, I worked in a startup and um, it was about financial mindfulness, actually. And the guy who was running the startup is a, a great guy, but he had this little baby and he didn't want to put it out in public, which I think is not uncommon amongst people in startups. He wanted to put it out, but he didn't want it to be out there in case, you know, in case it didn't go well. So my job was to put the product out and his job in his mind was to stop the product going out. <clears throat> and I found that, I just found that unbearable. I only had one responsibility that I could not acquit because every time I tried to do it, he was preventing me. But in the end, my stress levels were so high that I knew they were going to kill me. I just sat there one day in a meeting with him. It was a Tuesday morning and I thought, my stress levels are actually going to kill me if I don't do something. And I said, you know what? Here's another meeting where you're blocking me doing anything. I'm leaving. I'm leaving right now, today. And he's like, what? <laughs> And I did, because I just suddenly realized my physical health was at stake, and I left. <clears throat> but I'd let it go on too long, and three weeks later, I had a massive heart attack. And I had to spend three months lying on my sofa. 
And that was where the burnout thing came up for me. I recognized that it was burnout and I tried to find help and I couldn't get any. Nobody seemed to have an answer. The only, I mean, and I had access to a lot of alternative health, to a lot of psychotherapy, a lot of doctors. Nobody seemed to know what to do with me. And that's, I guess that's where it began. So you're grinding it out in tech. You have this heart attack, this big moment breaking open. And this takes you on the beginning of a journey into your own work and discovery in coaching and in burnout. So tell us a little bit about what brought you to coaching and what brought you to find the answers that you have today to burnout. Hmm. I think I was uh, very guided in this adventure because as an antidote to my work, I'd already been, uh, I generated a side a sideline in energy healing because that very much attracts me. I'm very intuitive. I'm an empath and all of that, very much into meditation, spirituality. So I, I'd been starting a sideline with uh, energy healing and things like uh, NLP, Reiki, kinesiology, EFT. And I was loving that. But when I was working with people, I felt that I needed a coaching element. So I wasn't putting a Band-Aid on the problem. I was teaching them to create their own, and perpetuate their own solution. So I was very conscious of, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a, an element of coaching in my work, but it wasn't strong enough. It needed really beefing up. So when I was lying on my sofa after my heart attack, I started studying that a bit more to try and find out how to do that. And at the same time, Brooke's podcast, Brooke at the Life Coach School's podcast, came up on my Facebook feed in an advert. And I thought, I wonder what that is. And I listened and I got hooked pretty quickly because the difference for me was, all the, <clears throat> all the support I'd had in the past was kind of long-term. It's like, we'll work on this over the coming years, where she was like, no, let's fix it today. Mm. I thought, wow. So I tried it on myself. I joined Scholars, and I started thinking, well, I'm in burnout. It, it, I mean, Brooke talks about us living in a 50-50 of emotions, 50% positive, 50% negative. And I thought I would love to live there. I'm 90% negative, 10% positive. <laughs> Give me the 50-50. <laughs> and I started working on myself like that. And it just so quickly became clear that it worked. Mm. That I was kind of in and I, I signed up for CCP, Coach Certification Program. What was the primary difference between, say, therapy and coaching? What was it about coaching that seemed to work and click and allow you to get out of that burnout? Mm, good question. I've tried psychotherapy. In fact, I've tried all kinds of therapy and, and alternative healing, but it's always so long range and aimless. They never tell you what the plan is, how long it's gonna take, what the solution looks like, how we're applying a solution now. Whereas Brooke's like, this is a thought that's causing you harm today. Let's fix it right now. But Dex, don't we need to investigate the, the depths of the childhood trauma that led to that thought today? To be honest, I think that's possible in, for some people with, through coaching. That's how I've addressed it myself in coaching. And it, <clears throat> in my personal case, Psychotherapy didn't touch the science. I got a report and I did it, gave it quite a good run. Didn't touch. Mm. It works for many people, but it didn't work for me. I never gained traction. But I think 
the trauma, the, the little T trauma that all of us have experienced throughout our lives can be addressed in coaching in a much more pragmatic and actionable way. And I, this is the work that I do with people in burnout. I don't ever get a client who hasn't got some small T trauma and some of them have also big T trauma. And maybe they have dealt with that externally in therapy or maybe they haven't and we feel around to see if it's something we can coach on or if it's something that needs professional help in other areas. I would also say it's an unintended consequence of a highly therapeutic and pathologizing culture that says everything is some deep-seated problem, some deep-rooted problem, rather than the simplicity and the feasibility of you're having a thought, create a feeling now, and we can tackle that. Yeah, we can. And I think when we, in coaching, when we use the self-coaching model, we can access a shift in perspective on the, the experience we're having today of an old issue. So let's say we have trouble with authority figures, use that as an example. And we've learned that from when we were kids. So it's been a longstanding kind of thematic belief for us. But the instance of it today is, I don't know, a police car stopped me and wanted to talk about, I don't know, something. So we can, when we resolve a specific instance of a problem, our brain is pretty good at that. It's not very good at solving general problems, but it's great at solving specific problems. But when we solve a specific problem, then we can see that we can apply that to other instances of the same problem. And I think in this way, we can deal with these old recurring themes of pain that we continue to experience without having to go back to when I was five, this happened. I think it's so brilliant. And it's a form of inductive reasoning or inductive logic. By solving a really specific, really particular problem you're facing now, you actually 10x, 100x your ability to solve the more generalized problem. And our mind likes to default to some generalized abstraction and honing it in on the particular, on the specifics of the thing you're facing today makes everything so much more achievable. Yeah, and I think the point you're kind of reflecting on there is coaching is about putting power back in the client's hands, whereas psychotherapy really isn't. Psychotherapy is like, I'm going to fix you, given enough time. Mm. But I think we're not used to having the power put in, in our hands. We're trained that we don't have power. But we don't have power over such things as, you know, the way we view relationships, the way we view money, the way we view time, success, et cetera, et cetera. We think that they're, the world tells us how to think and we have to keep thinking that way. And somebody else has the power, not us. But I... My experience is that's not true. We have a lot more power than we at first may realize. And when we start to assert it, we can, <clears throat> excuse me, create a better existence. Hmm. So Dex, you are the expert on burnout. So what is it? What causes it? What can we do about it? Give us the deal. <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> You know, I heard, um, I heard burnout described yesterday as, it, as a lack of emotional resourcefulness, which I think is true. But really, 
my experience of burnout, the people that I work with are generally, like in my private one-on-one practice, the people I work with in burnout are usually high-achieving professional men because that was where I started because that's what described me and I wanted people like me to work with. And those men tend to be, and this applies to women as well, it's not just men, but that, that was my niche, tend to be type A personality, kind of alpha, very hard-driven, high-achieving, perfectionist, enormously capable, competent, skilled, experienced people who've achieved great things in their field. They tend to be those, but it's the hard-driven aspect that I think fundamentally brings them down. The combination of being very hard-driven and also perfectionist, because they can never meet their own standards and they take their own assets, if you like, their own skill for granted, and they're still hunting that last 1% that they think they haven't got to yet and ignoring the 99% of sheer brilliance that they exhibit in every waking moment. And then it's a, it's a, it's a condition of self-disappointment. I'm going to drive harder because I don't have that 1% yet and I'm unsatisfied. And they perceive themselves as being underperforming in the world. That perception is normally very skewed. Like in my case, I resigned from my job. <laughs> a year later, I went back and had a coffee with my old boss. And he said, wow, it was awful when you left. We thought you were the only person holding the whole organization and project together. We thought you were stunning, amazing. And I thought I was failing every minute of every day. Mm. That skew in perception is very harmful. So I think of it, yeah, it's chronic stress, it's chronic anxiety, overwhelm, overwork, frustration, and all the other symptoms of burnout. There are so, so many. The experience is quite common across different kinds of burnout, different genders is fairly common. But I think ultimately is we're not pleasing ourselves enough. We think of ourselves as failing, as underperforming, and it hurts us. And we're letting people down. We've got this feeling of insecurity, letting people down, letting our families down, letting our work colleagues down, and everything just implodes when we become sufficiently exhausted. It all implodes. So here's the story I hear from folks, which is, if I don't beat myself up, if I don't focus on the thing I haven't achieved yet, then I won't have the motivation to go after it. Then I won't keep achieving, Dex. Okay. Is that true <laughs> for you? Well, I'll say for me, what I found is I used to believe that lie and mm, mm. it led to disastrous consequences and burnout. And I had to learn and build the foundation of being fueled by the opposite energy to actually sustain okay. it. Okay, so you, I'm not sure about your listeners, but you understand the unintentional and the intentional model, right? Which of those models is beating yourself up in? The unintentional. But feel and free to explain to folks Which model gives you a result what... you want? Why <laughs> <laughs> right, is the intentional? It turns out this is about the carrot and the stick. We've always thought that the stick is what makes us perform at the level that we're capable of performing, the highest level. And we think if we take the stick away, suddenly we'll spend all day in bed eating chocolate. But for the people that I meet, their habits, their work habits, their work ethic, their drive, their determination to succeed has been ingrained for decades. 
it's not suddenly going to disappear just because you stop beating yourself up. It can't. You can't undo habits that quickly. And my experience in my personal business is I'm fantastically more successful now I'm kind to myself instead of beating myself up. Because believe me, I was the Olympic champion at beating myself up. It was relentless. I was, I was in very poor condition. It doesn't, you can't perform from that state. When you think about having a more positive thought that generates assuredness, certainty, comfort, is actually where you get into flow state. And flow state is the most productive state. It's the state where you make the least errors, where your problem-solving abilities are the sharpest, where you will produce work much more quickly. There's kind of no downside, really, like in my understanding and how I see my clients come through as well. They just get to relax a ton and still produce at the standard that they were before and then go on to an even higher standard, typically. Like my clients go on to achieve things they've only ever dreamed about. And it's ironic, given that the supposed fear is lying in bed and eating chocolate. And that's the thing you're more likely to do when you do burn out. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? It's a very common myth and it's a very common fear of people who come to me. They're like, don't, don't, don't bring my performance down anymore because I'm really worried about it as it is. Because procrastination is a really big thing for people in burnout who are very, very exhausted, worried, stressed, anxious. They're avoiding nearly everything, everything and everyone by the time they come to me. They're living under the bed, actually. Pretty much, metaphorically. Okay, but Dex, surely in certain fields, in certain professions, like software development or tech, to name one, or in law, or in finance, or in any uh, time-based input profession, especially, Surely in that case, there's no way you can have thought work around burnout, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, let's use law, right? A okay. A familiar topic for you. So <clears throat> I don't know how it is with you, but people here charge by the six minutes. So you've got to be ultra productive. But if you're in flow state, you're going to get more work done in five minutes than you would have in burnout in an hour. So I think thought work is super productive there. I think this solution to burnout is what elevates people. It elevates their status. It elevates their success. It elevates their productivity, their enjoyment, their engagement with their staff, colleagues, team members, clients, whatever. I work with a lot of physicians, and they're particularly resistant to fixing burnout because they think it's, things are going to get worse for them. And that's an extremely, an extremely structural, systematized, um, high-performing educational standard professions. I think it's the most applicable to do this kind of burnout work. IT, okay, it's very fault intolerant. Medicine, very fault intolerant. Law, I can only imagine. <laughs> it's not a good look to make a lot of mistakes. But I think you make less, less mistakes once you start treating yourself differently. What are the top thoughts you would say folks come in with that lead to burnout? 
and then the top dots that lead them out. There are a lot of thoughts coming in of, I can't do this. I'm too exhausted. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't care anymore. I'm trying to motivate myself and I can't. Um, people are judging me. That's a really, really big one. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not making my numbers this month. It's all about failure, really, the perception of failure. Mm. And also, people generally come to me when they've taken their distress home and it's impacting their family lives, it's impacting their time with their children, it's impacting their marriages. They've given up all their hobbies, they've given up their friendships, they're just kind of putting a bag on their head of shame. It's like, I don't want to talk to anyone, I don't want to be around anyone, I don't want to do anything, I don't want to go to a meeting because people will see I'm failing. And I think the thing that leads them out is, Oh, look, I can do this. Once we, once we stop beating ourselves up, we have an opportunity to notice our innate greatness. All of the people who come and work with me are amazing human beings. This is men and women across the board in scholars, in my personal business, everywhere. They're just wonderful, inspiring, well-motivated, capable human beings. And if I can help them contact that again, that's what breaks the field of play open. I think it all really, it's really going from self-disappointment and self-judgment to self-appreciation and capability and enthusiasm. Passion comes back. Let's talk for a minute, if you're open to it, about the intersection of burnout and the thoughts creating it, the perfectionism and the people pleasing you've talked about and gayness um, in the workplace. I'll say a little bit from the folks that I work with, I talk about the four mind fucks of homophobic social conditioning. <laughs> Those are perfectionism, people pleasing, external validation seeking and the fuck it effect. So you build these cycles of resentment, of shame, of despair, which leads to the fuck it effect in any sort of form. So I'm curious for you uh, if you have any thoughts about the intersection of the two, the overlap. Yeah, I would agree with the things that you've just said. That's quite entertaining as well, the way you describe <laughs> it. I mean, you're spot on. But I would also say that people from minority groups in general uh, face a level of difficulty and adversity that other people may not even be conscious of, let alone experience. So I'm talking about ableism, I'm talking about racism, homophobia, also, you know, the women who are in burnout have a, a slightly tricky relationship with what they describe as the patriarchy, that, that, that system. So I think anybody who comes from any minority has a little more work to do because they will always be seeking external validation, as you say, because they haven't received it in general life and they continue not to receive it. They continue to be discriminated against as if they weren't good people. And also they've been kind of, uh, people have donated shame thoughts to them. 
often early in life as well. And I think it's the same racism, but, but also in the gay community because children growing up are often fed homophobia and taught to be ashamed of themselves. And I think that shame is a particularly tricky emotion to deal with and it's very, it's very hard to refute. It says, we don't approve of you, we never will, not because of the things that you do, because, but because of the person that you are and you can't change that. So shame will always belong to you, there's no answer to shame. And I think that's what a lot of us bring into the workplace as well. We expect to be disapproved of and we're desperate for that external approval because of that. We're not safe in the herd. Anybody who doesn't feel safe in the herd is, is kind of up against a, an additional level of difficulty and what they would perceive as social threat, lack of social inclusion. So I think it's really important. And it's also important to say that a lot of those demographics, particularly the queer community, has an extremely high incidence of mental health problems. And consequently, quite often um, coping mechanisms addiction, self-harm, and all the other. So I think, and, and exclusion from family, and you know, there's a lot going on in there. So I think unpacking it for queer people is, yeah, a lot of those people will have had many experiences of exclusion and sometimes vilification, sometimes violence. I think, I think it's a tough one, but I don't think it, it, it really is something we can't address with coaching. And I think coaching can be extremely successful working with people who do feel challenged by their minority status and the way that they perceive the world treats them or the way the world does treat them. What do you think? I think I'll say from what I've seen with high achieving gay professionals in particular is that the thoughts you have in one place of life or the thoughts you have in every place of life. And yeah. oftentimes this boils down to, I'm not enough, I've done something wrong. And when you pull back the veil of that, it is, I am wrong. And when you have, I am wrong in any permutation showing up in the context of a brief due at work, a new line of code due, a um, new uh, script due, whatever the task or the project is, if in the back of your mind, you have this unquestioning, nagging thought that you think is you, you, you identify with, I'm wrong, yeah. I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it, it feels terrible. And ultimately you realize you hit a certain point that you can't out hustle the negative self-talk. You can't out grind being an asshole to yourself. And so what I'm curious about is what I would love in a um, better world that we're helping create is that folks don't have to hit the ICU. Folks don't have to hit a heart attack. Folks don't have to hit a quote unquote rock bottom in order to get out of the grind, get out of the hustle to recognize that burnout is a choice. Yes, I agree. And I will point out that in my experience, everybody in burnout has shame and potentially all humans have shame. And also that coaching can heal shame. We can find ways to work with shame so that we can diminish it and become more of who we really are, which is extremely freeing. It's a kind of freedom 
we would have always wanted, just to live in ourselves as we are. And it's kind of a thing that we've been straining for, but I don't think you need to do that. And now I've forgotten what your question was. Well, I guess I'm, I'm also wondering um, when people come to you um, and they've tried everything <laughs> and maybe they ask you, why would this work? Why is this gonna work for me when everything else has failed? How do you answer that question? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I think it's when, when people come and talk to me initially, I say to them, okay, where are you stuck at? <clears throat> Excuse me. Where's your problem? What's difficult for you right now? Where are your challenges? And where would you like to get to from here? And I say to them, if you were going to come and do coaching with me, where would you want to get to by the end so you know it's worked out for you? And people are so taken aback by that, nobody's probably ever asked them that. And whatever they say to me, I mean, if they said they wanted to be the king of France and they didn't live in France, okay, and it doesn't have a king, okay, a bit difficult. If they wanted to be president of the US, in your case, it might work. For other people, maybe not. But if it's a realistic goal, I say, yeah, you can have that during this length of time that we're working together. And I show them how we're going to get there. And I, I think it's important to have practical way of explaining to people, okay, we're going to knock this one off this way that one off that way. And I go through all the symptoms of burnout. And I say, well, this is what we do for stress. This is what we do for anxiety. This is what we do about fear of judgment. This is what we do about shame. And I, I just talk them through it. I make it a step-by-step -step process for them that they can see as kind of more tangible. But I think as well, in terms of, you did say something about rock bottom. And I think where, what's turning the tide on that? Because COVID has massively exacerbated an already burgeoning you know, epidemic or pandemic of anxiety and burnout and panic and all of that. But it's turning the tide a bit about leadership. And now we're being taught as a, as a culture that our leadership needs to be more inclusive. This diversity, equity and inclusion thing has come up. We need to support everybody. Um, and in fact, I suggest to my clients, they read a book called Big Potential by Sean and it's about empowering everybody. It's about how teams, when they have a good bond of trust, when they have psychological safety together, will always outperform individuals. And I think that's kind of the way that leadership is tending at the moment. And it makes me overjoyed to see that. That's, I teach a lot of leadership as well. How did you empower yourself, Dex? I think the hardest thing is not being an asshole to yourself. <laughs> and the ease with which we see the greatness in others, inch by inch, seeing that in ourselves. What was your process for turning that page in your own life? Well, self-coaching, self-coaching scholars. I, very, I came in and I really realized if beating myself up was in an unintentional model and only an intentional model could produce a result I liked, I thought, okay, I've got to stop beating myself up. I've got to make that choice. I've got to decide that when my brain, my inner critic pipes up every four seconds and tries to beat me up, every single time it pops up, I need to go, 
oh no we won't do that now thanks we'll do this and just for folks who haven't myself. yet done this work could you tell mm. us a little bit more in detail like what exactly does that mean what does self-coaching mean what is the model what is the unintentional model like how does this stuff actually work in practice <laughs> <laughs> okay good question the unintentional model is essentially where something happens in the world and we have a negative interpretation of it. We, we tell ourselves some negative thought. And this is our inner critic going, yeah, that's going to suck or this is going to be terrible or you failed at that. Our inner critic wants to give us a negative spin on everything because it wants to control for risk. It's like, hey, there's going to be a problem here. I've got to tell you about it. You're a complete asshole. You did this when you were five. And it points out all this evidence from throughout our lives of how we can't make life work for us. And then we create a negative feeling, stress, disappointment, frustration, irritation, anger, rage, uh, shame, despair, whatever it is. And from that place, we can't create anything useful in the world. We can't take any action that's going to help us fix the problem because we're too shut down in this despairing emotion. So basically... That's the cycle that we can interrupt with coaching. Every time I have a negative thought that sends me down the rabbit hole of negativity that has me holding up in bed with the chocolate, I can go, oh, no, I don't need to follow that automatic habitual path. Now I can make a choice to think differently about myself that creates a little bit of space for me to create a new experience and break an old pattern. What is self-coaching work? <laughs> like, Pardon? how how is it that your thoughts create your feelings? First of all, when did you first recognize this? And when did you move past just hearing that, like, and understanding it intellectually, that your thoughts create your feelings, and then really begin seeing the application in your life? Like, holy cow, my thoughts literally create my feelings. And by the way, I okay. do get to choose my thoughts. Because this is so unobvious and so not common knowledge <laughs> that it's a little bit shocking to me. It is. It's extremely shocking. But actually, the self-coaching that we're talking about here is based on cognitive behavior therapy, which is that it's not the events in life that create a negative feeling for you. You can't be angry at something that happened in life. You can only be angry at something that happened in life if you think about it in a negative way first. So that teaching to me, and I've learned CBT like 20 years ago, didn't touch the sides, but that when it was described this way, like the boss saying something to me, I can only be upset about that if I think he's judging me or criticizing me. If I don't think that, if I just think it's somebody shooting the breeze, I won't care, I won't be upset. But if I think he's judging me or criticizing me, I'm going to be really upset. So that, the way it was described to me in Self-Coaching Scholars shed a great deal of light because I never realized I was creating my own misery either. I think they should teach kids in school the more <laughs> because it would save like a lifetime of negative experience, which is avoidable. But I learned it pretty quickly. As soon as I found out that beating yourself up was in a, uh, with a knee-jerk reaction to the world, my self-criticism is a knee-jerk reaction. It's a habit I learned as a child to tell myself off for everything, to feel that I was not good enough in all kinds of ways. That's a habitual thought I had as a child. So I've just been 
using it ever since, thinking it was the truth. As soon as I started to realize it wasn't the truth and I could be kind to myself and get better results, I had that experiment and I was hooked. Yeah, I think that debunks a really uh, powerful myth, which is that this takes a lot of time. It takes all this time to unwind all these years of the habit patterns of the mind. And to your point, it can take a matter of minutes sometimes. If it clicks, if the words land, if it clicks, if it connects, you recognize that, oh, wait, I am not my thoughts. I get to choose my thoughts. My thoughts do create my feelings. And everything I do or don't do is because I'm feeling or not feeling a certain way. When you actually connect with that fact, it's literally like turning on or off a switch. It does not have to take as long as it took for you to learn the patterns of beating yourself up. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think that's another myth. And, and that's, the, I mean, to me, rightly or wrongly, that's my perception of psychotherapy. It's just like, well, you're going to need a lot of years of psychotherapy to fix that. I don't think that's true. When people come to me in burnout, they've got this kind of bucket of gloom on their head. That's all they can see. They think it's the truth. They think it's the actual world. They're in this despair and it seems endless and, and unsolvable. But I say to people who come to me, you're going to get back to buoyancy, emotional buoyancy in three to four weeks. Working 45 minutes a week with me, three to four weeks, you'll be back at buoyancy. And they look at me like, what? <laughs> but it's true. That, that You can unwind that as soon as you take the glasses off and put a different set on. Everything looks spectacularly different. And you realize you have agency as well. It teaches you to have agency. Oh, you mean I can affect the way that I feel? I don't have to talk to myself that way. I don't have to think about my life that way. I don't think, I don't think we, anyone teaches us that. <laughs> because we learn our patterns as kids, right? They teach us how to relate to one another. They teach us how to relate to work. They teach us whether we're good enough and how we're not good enough as children, and we never question that as children because we're too young, we haven't got those faculties. And then as adults, we just, it's too late. We've already taken it as the truth, the way the world is. But it isn't the way the world is. It's the way we are. Dex, is there anything else that's on your mind? Questions you wanna ask, things you wanna share, things you think are important for folks to hear about burnout, coaching, or otherwise? I'm glad there's a lot of coaches out there. It's a, a really expanding field and I'm seeing just insanely good results in a lot of areas. And one of the areas I'm looking at is medicine where the fallout rate is enormous. And I got into this partly because I had my own burnout and partly because I recognized that male suicide is one of the predominant causes of death. Like in Australia, for a long time, it was the leading cause of death in men 15 to 45, more men than women. And I think perhaps because women more readily seek help. But I'm, my major concern for people in burnout, and this is my calling, this is the work I'm going to keep doing now, is that people in burnout either don't have access to a solution or are too scared to put their hand up and even ask for one. So if anybody hears this and they are in burnout, I would strongly encourage you to at least put the feelers out and inquire of a coach that you know who may be able to help. Because it's not a, it doesn't need to be a terminal condition, but it is one that degenerates over time if it doesn't get attention. 
and it will affect your health, not just your emotional well-being and your mental health, but it will affect your physical health as it did for me. Dex, where can folks find more about you if they want to work with you or learn more? For sure, dexrandall.com. Fantastic. Well, Dex Randall, it has been an absolute pleasure. We had the burnout coach joining us today. And thank you so much again. My pleasure. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. podcast you have to check out the gay man's life coach at jonathanherzogcoach.com it is the community of gay men transforming their lives to feel better and get exactly what they want join us at jonathanherzogcoach.com and book a one-on-one consult today and if you have one minute it would be so awesome if you could leave a review on this podcast so we can help spread the word and help more gay men see you soon